welcome to the Eden Camp podcast. Today we are interviewing Frank, our Site and Restorations Manager at Eden Camp. He's going to be chatting to us about Eden Camp heritage restorations and the vehicles we have on site. We'll also be talking about the volunteers and some development on site, some exciting new things over the winter. Thank you for joining us, Frank. To start with, can you tell us a bit about you and how long you've been here and what you get up to on a day-to-day basis? Wow, so we're doing personal details right off the bat. I like it. Right, so I'm Frank. I'm site and restorations manager which means i look after the buildings and the stuff inside them the grounds and the vehicle collection as well so that includes looking after them on a day-to-day basis and restoring them i've been here a blooming long time mm-hmm. longer than the prisoners <laughs> we're not i'm nearly knocking 25 years i've done 24 years in august so a significant amount of time really i started as a nice young innocent 15 year old boy and then slowly, slowly became the wonderful figure of a man I am today. <laughs> Great. And do you enjoy it here? Of course. 20, 24 <laughs> years, I that. think, probably proves it. Again, we're a big believer in um, action to speak louder than words. And I think 24 years of looking forward to coming to work can only mean that I've got a good job. Good. Yeah, I agree. And you've recently started the volunteer-led program Eden Camp Heritage Restorations. Can you tell us about that and when it started? And yeah, so <clears throat> basically what happened was about two years ago now, maybe even a little bit longer, Harriet, how long has it been? 2019, I think. Right, But okay. it's before my time. Yeah. Okay, so a while. However many about years that is. We decided we would start to look after our vehicles in a different way. Eden Camp has a large vehicle collection um, and mostly they were static and what we did was use the static exhibits to speak to people about the history and heritage mm-hmm. um, around our site. Now Eden Camp has a brilliant tagline. The tagline is of course we transport you back to the sights, the sounds and the smells of the 1940s. Well done. Alright yeah well done. <laughs> 24 years of practice. Did I write there didn't I? And basically we realised that the vehicles also could be applied to that tagline. So vehicles, you can certainly see them, there's no getting away from that. You can certainly hear them when they're running, and that's the key here, is the running bit. And you can also smell them when they're running, because of course, petrol, diesel, you only need to go to a fuel station and people instantly get, oh I hate that smell or I love that smell. It's Mm -hmm. the same kind of gig. So we decided we were going to start looking after our vehicles in a different way. And that's where Eden Camp Heritage Restoration came from. Of course, we've got a big collection. The work is heavy and expert at the same time. And so we, of course, needed some help. And that help came in the form of of willing victims and also (laughs) volunteers. Yeah, the volunteers are a great help to us. Um, We've got people from all walks of life that come and give us their opinions, their expertise. And and really, between the team and the volunteer team, between the two teams, I should say, we we don't do too badly and we, we carry on with it in what I like to think is a good professional man, uh, manner and all the time keeping the history and the heritage, which is what the static vehicle started as, at the forefront of our restoration. Okay. And how would people join up if they wanted to come and volunteer with you? So volunteering with us is really easy. You don't need to be a tank mechanic or a ex-army or any of that sort of stuff. Like I've just said, we have people from all walks of life. Um, you really just need to get in touch with us via our website or perhaps our Facebook if you were that way inclined. It depends. Really, as long as you get in touch, we then start you with an induction process. We then enter you into a mentor program where some of our existing volunteers will 
be with you for your first few goes and very slowly you'll get to know the site, you'll get to know the team and we'll find you a place where you can do your best and enjoy hopefully. And people learn new skills and meet new people. Absolutely, yeah. We've all learnt new skills. Um, today we've got two volunteers here. Uh, one's an ex-nurse who's currently cleaning out a World War II first aid kit and has been astounded by the amount of stuff that is still applicable today um, in one of our new displays in, the, in our new huts. And yeah. the other person is her husband. So yeah, we do we do family teams as well. <laughs> her husband is currently track bashing, which is one of the worst jobs in the world, um, pulling the cleats off um, the M50. Again, no one will have done that, and it's all no. about learning that skill. So speaking of the M50 then, the major project that the restorations team are taking under is the Sherman. So how did that start? Um, how's it going? So the Sherman <clears throat> was our second project. We've, we've started the M16 half track and that's nearly completed. Um, we've also done a couple of motorbikes and we, we kind of cut our teeth on those. They were the smaller ones and we decided we were ready for the bigger challenge of doing something a little bit more in depth. We knew it was going to be a bit of a problem because it's a tank and of course that means it's awkward even before you get near it, let alone move it. And so we decided we were going to try that one. And basically, that was the one we picked. Um, we did the Sherman simply because we felt there was more availability of parts. Of course, if you're replacing and repairing something, parts are certainly an issue. Yeah. You've got to remember, it's also the vehicle with possibly the longest military career on site. Um, and I like that story, the history bits of it, I really enjoy as well. Cool. And so we've decided that was the one and I decided to work on the story and everyone else and myself decided to do the tanky bits. Are you going to share the story? Do you want to know the story? A right, bit, of course. Yeah, how long have you got? <laughs> this is normally like a two hour talk so let's see how we go. So our, our M50, which is the big restoration, was, was of course built in the Second World War in 1942 in America. It was mm -hmm. built by Chrysler, yes, the car company. Um, and that's what they do. They built them all over in Detroit. And it was M4A4, and there's going to be loads of acronyms in this little talk, but you'll just okay. get used to it, yeah. all right? We'll make notes. Yeah, very good. So it started its life as an M4A4 with a big, dirty petrol engine in. Very, very mm -hmm. complicated, and it was very quickly shipped over to the UK under the Lend-Lease programme. Do you know what the Lend-Lease is? Uh, vaguely, but go on. Right, so the Lend-Lease is, is basically where the Allies, so in this case Britain and America, um, agreed to provide each other with shovels, screwdrivers, vehicles, tanks, uniforms. It was all encompassing. It was basically the state supplying Britain with, with kit they needed for war. Um, okay. and in this case, the tank mm. and the M50, or the M4A4, I should say, proper. And so it was shipped over to Britain in 1943. And the way we know that is because we do something called scar reading. So this is about letting the vehicle tell its own story. Um, general history tells us about Lend-Lease and yeah, we, we like to double check everything. And the welds on our tank were done in the field. And that basically means that it was already not in the States because when it got the welds we're talking about, Chrysler would have done them with a different type of weld or a different type of stick. Okay. Um, and so basically we can tell you that was done in the field. Ergo, if it was already done in the field, that means it was already not in America, mm -hmm. which means it was in Britain because it was a Lend-Lease tank. Okay. And so there we go. That was World War Two. Last week I found something <laughs> really, really interesting. Do you want me to stop? <laughs> no, no, keep going. So we even, even so we started this yonks ago, as I said, about two years ago. 
And last week I found um, a number 11 on the side of our tank under some layers of paint. I took a box off. I was being a really good lad. There was a, a rusty bolt on a box and I thought, we've done a really good restoration. We've done nut and bolt. We have a really high standard and I'm not accepting a rusty bolt on that storage <laughs> box. And so I decided to take the bolt out. And when I did and had a look, I decided to do the rest of the bolt so it all looked the same like a good boy. Taking that box off led me to discover a piece of a tank that hadn't been exposed to the elements, blasting, okay. whatever, for several years. And sure enough, underneath was the number 11. Now, that has no business being there, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the place it's in is basically on the whole side near the applique plate. And that is where, in World War II, the Brits would have put a squadron marking. Okay. And that squadron marking would be a number inside a box, a triangle, or a circle. And ours is in the box. Now, as I was saying, it's had a really long military career. It's mm -hmm. been rebuilt several times, all the way up until kind of 1980. Yep. And I really honestly didn't think that we would have a surviving piece of World War II on our vehicle. It's been through too many hands, hasn't it? It doesn't seem like it could possibly mm. be, does it? Um, and so I've been asking for help. And that's who I was sending him a photo to when you were asking. I was texting the Tank Museum and saying, look, we've found this, what do you guys think? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no one does. It's still a mystery. And that's, that's a really good thing about the Tank, is it's still got its story, it's still got its mm. secrets. So even when I thought I was nearly done with it, it's thrown another it's kick up at me and it's really good fun. And yeah, I think we've now, I'm pretty sure we've got a World War II squadron marking, which means it was vehicle 11 in B squadron. Now we just have to find out what the division was and sure what? enough, we'll find out what it did, hopefully. That'd be brilliant. So you mentioned all the bicycles and um, motorbikes and everything else that you've been doing restoration wise. What is um, in the future? In the future? Well, of mm. course our, our collection completely carries on growing. Um, we are very lucky that now we've started to get a reputation for looking after stuff properly and with the idea of restoring them to running. Um, our restoration proceeds in some circles, which we're very proud of. Yep. Basically, what that means is we need somewhere to put them. Of course, if you're going to have a tank, it needs a house, doesn't it? There's no point doing 200 hours of restoration on something and then letting it sit outside again. You need to look after it. It's a bit like a classic car. If you rebuild a classic car, you want it in your garage at home, don't you? And yeah. so we're currently building something called, I've called it the tank hall, but mm -hmm. marketing department has called it the, <clears throat> what was it? The events and exhibition hall. Yeah, so tank hall. <laughs> the events and exhibition hall on, on part of our car park. And that'll house our bigger vehicles, because we've already got a smaller a shed for our vehicles we've done. Yeah. It'll have big ones, but it also allow people to have a, a very, very unique venue um, to come and have a look round and possibly have some kind of party, I would think. Tea with events. a tank, yeah? yeah? Yeah, events. There we go. Yeah. Tea with a tank, I've called it. I think that'd be great. I think it'd be wonderful to sit next to a Sherman or a T-34 and have a cup of tea or something. Even have a meal, perhaps, eh? Mm, maybe. Something yeah. you do every day, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And what about the rest of site? I know we've got a lot of plans since we're closing over the winter, so do you want to tell us about some of the bits we're doing? So you haven't got long enough for me to tell you about <laughs> everything we're doing. We're, we've this year decided to really hit home um, our site and the, the restoration of some of the buildings. We've, we're putting new roofs on places, of course this is part of our 
um, preservation of the buildings, the conservation of the original buildings that the prisoners built in 1941, mm -hmm. um, which houses our museum. Uh, they need looking after with a great eye for detail and they do, they're very labour intensive, um, but we're very proud of how we look after those. We make sure that we are always working on the side of history and heritage to yeah. preserve it for future. So that's very important to us. So yeah, we're doing building work with the roofs, etc. We've of course got the events and exhibition space, which is a major undertaking for us, mm. um, including putting infrastructure in. Um, but while we're at it, quite honestly, we, we're going to basically return it somewhat to the photos we've seen of Eden Camp in the 40s. We've started, basically, when I say I work at a prisoner of war camp, everybody thinks barbed wire, big gates, yeah. guns, etc. Eden Camp wasn't like that. It was much more of a happy place, I think is a, a way to put it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the photos we've seen of the guys, the prisoners, I should say, not the guys, the prisoners have box hedging, flower beds, and, and really it was very, very pretty. You know, picket fences, all sorts fountains. of... Fountains. Fountains that they've built and carved, yeah. So it was very, very nice. I don't know a better word for it other than nice. Mm. Um, it wasn't as industrial as the site currently is. So we're now putting some wildflowers in, some flower beds, and, and really starting to up our biodiversity and, and go a little bit green at the same time. Fantastic. And you were talking about how the prisoners built the huts and the original state they were in. And I know you found some of the original concrete panels when we redid the toilet block. Can you tell us a so, little bit about how they built them? Yeah, absolutely. That's, so that's really easy. This is one of the things I first learned when I started. Our huts, Basically what happened in World War One is we used to house prisoners uh, in any odd spot. Barns, houses, you name it really, whatever it, wherever they could get them, quite simply. Tents. <clears throat> and it became very difficult for the War Department to keep a hold of how many we had and where they were. That led them into the Second World War to not repeat that mistake. That mistake was rectified by creating a standard. And we are currently sat in an MOW standard hutment. There you go. They okay. came in two sizes. The size we're in, which is 20 foot by 60 foot, mm -hmm. and one twice as big, so 40 foot by 120 feet. Eden Camp's built with 29, surviving anyway, 29 of the uh, the smaller standard huts. Mm -hmm. And basically they were made from Nashcrete. Okay? Nashcrete's a really, really uh, wonder material at the time, I think it was. Basically what happened was we had a, a workforce of prisoners who were expected to build their own prison. Um, we didn't think they had the labour skills, shall we say, to, to brick or do something more kind of expert than basically a, a plug and play building. So what happened was a company from York put up frames, which yeah. is like a, a concrete pillar that you can see in all our huts. Mm -hmm. Those pillars went up and then the prisoners were to slot Nashcrete panels in and Nashcrete is basically a super light panel and it's made with uh, concrete and sawdust to make it really, really light. Okay. And it's very specific, the Nashcrete uh, sawdust. It had to be hardwood that had been kiln dried. You couldn't have any kind of softwood because of the tar in it and the oils in it would ruin the concrete. Um, and that's what we did. It was ladies generally who built those panels and the panels were shipped. So we have three panels for a window bay, six panels for a wall bay. And all you do is slide them down the frames. <laughs> and that's what we did. And that's what we recreated when we were doing... No, that's what we have. Yeah, but we still right. have our surviving panels. We have taken the decision on some of our buildings to over-render because the, right. the Nashcrete is now at a point where, 80 years later, bearing in mind it's sawdust 
like mm-hmm. 30%. It was supposed to last 18 months, not 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've now basically plastic wrapped our Nash Creek and then over-rendered with modern day cement um, to strengthen and to waterproof the buildings. Yeah. Um, but the surviving, the, the Nash Creek still survives underneath completely untouched. Um, so again, it's about the pr- preservation and the conservation of the site itself. Yeah. Um, so that's what you see and that's what we're sat in. And that's what everyone walks by and goes, oh, look, it's a building. It's not yeah. It's not just a building, it's a very specific type. Yeah, it's history. So thank you very much to Frank for joining us in today's podcast. And we hope you enjoyed learning about all the volunteers and the restorations we have here on site. Um, join us next time on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. So we're speaking to author and historian Lucy Adlington covering the fashion of 1940s. Mm-hmm.